we very easily live in the world of our thinking. The attention caught by the flow of memories and ideas, plans, judgments, likes and dislikes. And even when we have uh, some kind of strong physical experience, like being hungry or cold, having a, an injury or pain in the body, very quickly the attention can go to what the mind is creating around that. The thoughts around the hungry feeling or the, the discomfort. Uh, yesterday, talking about the establishment of the balanced view, integrated right view. It's uh, the mental posture that is most conducive, most supportive of uh, realization of Dhamma. But its partner is the physical posture, the rupakanda, this material world, this physical body of ours that is the, the basis of this, this life, this center of experience that we call ourselves, this body, this place at this time. So at the beginning of a formal retreat period, uh, I always like to remind myself and others of the physical dimension and the importance of bringing caring, careful attention to the body, and particularly the posture in meditation. Uh, two of the essential elements of Dhamma practice and embodying Dhamma is the qualities of peacefulness, pasadi, samatha, samadhi, this kind of tranquil, calm, peaceful qualities. And also energy, virya, alertness, dhamma vijaya, that investigation of reality. The awake mind, in its essence, embodies both of those dimensions, energy and relaxation, peacefulness. Therefore, it's extremely beneficial, helpful, when we come into the temple or sit down to meditate in our room or kuti, wherever, Rather than immediately getting engaged in the mental realm, we give time and attention to the posture. How does the body feel? How is the body being held? Whether we're sitting on a chair or a stool, sitting on a cushion, kneeling, cross-legged, however the body might be arranged, here it is. In this moment it feels this way. And so to establish the meditation, to guide things in a way that are in accordance with, with Dhamma in the most complete, full and well-integrated way, then the way that the posture is formed, is established, makes a difference. And to have that same balancing of energy and relaxation is... Uh, Essential, 
very uh, significant. If we're trying to calm the mind down and focus the mind and the body is, is tense and rigid, stressed, all our efforts in the mental realm are not going to bring a, a beneficial result. If the body is listless, you know, slumped over, then again, the efforts in the mental realm are going to be somewhat wasteful. Yeah, that effort is going to be lost or dissipated, doesn't have a good result. So bringing attention into the body, inviting the spine to, to stretch, to lengthen to its full, comfortable limit, not to be stressed or tense, uptight, but just letting the back stretch and grow till it's at a comfortable, full extent of its length. The body, the body held upright, and even as that stretching of the spine occurs, you can begin to notice how there's a, at least to some degree a, a clarifying, a, a brightening, an energizing. Then around the central column of the spine, Invite the rest of the body to relax, to soften, to be completely free of tension. We can easily carry our moods around, represented, mirrored in the body, embodied in our posture. If we're depressed and sad, melancholy, then the body slumps, we find ourselves dragging the body around. If we're anxious, intense, uptight, then similarly we're in a state of agitation, stressing. We carry the moods easily around in the body and sustain them in the body. So if we bring attention to the body and invite a different direction, then we can be freeing the whole system from those habits of, of dullness and negativity, listlessness, or agitation, busyness, tension. So with the spine as the central column, the rest of the body soften and relax around that, feeling the different portions of the body, noticing where there's, where there's slumping or heaviness. Noticing where there's tension and tightness. Bringing the mind to those areas, guiding them to a quality of, of balance. Wherever you find tightness and stressing in the face or your shoulders, your belly, your hands, your legs, wherever it might be, 
Consciously let the body soften, loosen. It's always a surprise to realize, oh my goodness, my hips were really tight. My jaw was clenched. My shoulders are really stiff. Wow, didn't even notice. So rather than me being the agent of making it all right, as a sort of self-centered act, in this way of guiding, establishing the, the physical posture, as well as the mental posture, rather than me deciding it should be some way, bringing attention to the area of tightness, stressing, and letting the act of attention have its own natural effect. As we work with uh, the body and the, the sweeping of attention, the, the moving of attention through the, the body, we uh, enable a, a balanced posture. Again, whether we're sitting on the chair or a stool, sitting on the cushion. Each individual body is arranged in its own unique way, its own posture. But whatever the arrangement of the body might be, a chair or a cushion, however small or large we might be, whatever physical injuries or limitations we might have, there's always a way that this body can find a, a quality of balance. And when there's pain in the body, as we sit for a period of time and we start to get ache in the, the left leg or the right leg, an ache in our shoulder or the base of the, of the spine, Aches and pains arise. Maybe we've already got an injury that's painful right from the beginning. When pain arises in meditation, particularly in the longer sittings, it's very easy to relate to pain as an enemy or as a problem. We want to get rid of it, wait for it, can't wait for it to be over. The natural reaction to pain is fear and aversion. It's unlikable. We're afraid of what it means or what damage might be done. So fear and pain are the completely ordinary natural reactions. But we don't have to dwell in those. And the more the mind gets lost in fear and aversion, the greater the causes for pain that are created. The body tenses up, resists the pain, fears it, resents it, negotiates with it. And in that attachment, grasping, the causes for more tension, more pain, are generated. So it's much more helpful to cultivate the attitude of radical acceptance and loving-kindness towards those painful feelings. This takes effort. 
It's a conscious directing of attention and a, a forming of intention, forming of an attitude, suggesting, directing, loving kindness, acceptance, relaxation. But when that's done, the muscles in that area relax, the attitude relaxes, then at that moment, the causes of that painful feeling are being reduced. And the attitude can change to that painful feeling being absolutely not a problem. This enables the heart to respond to painful feeling rather than to blindly, unconsciously react. So when there's pain in the body and the system is being stretched and strained, there's no need to be insanely heroic. That can easily cause more damage. But rather, if there's a, a, an attitude based on loving kindness, acceptance, then the intuitive wisdom of the system can operate. There's an intuition of knowing how much, okay? This pain in the knee has been there for a certain amount of time. I feel uh, the system is really being stretched and strained. Okay, now it's time to move. So it's quite all right to change the posture, but that change is based on loving kindness and attunement to reality rather than fear and aversion. So the result is very, very different. Developing this quality of, of a radical acceptance, having loving kindness for the aches and pains of the body, it also translates very directly to the, the mind states, supports that quality of skillful right view, integrated view. When moods of, of fear or aversion, of regret or resentment arise, we can have an attitude of acceptance, a radical acceptance of those painful emotions. The chattering mind, the thinking mind going on and on and on. There can be a, an attitude of metta, an acceptance of that chattering mind. We don't have to make it a problem or an enemy, but relate to it just like the chattering of the birds. I don't understand the bird's language. I don't need to. I can just relate to it as the birds are chirping, chattering away. Don't need to be involved. No need to push it away. No need to grasp it. So developing that attitude of radical acceptance to the body, the feelings of the body, Bring that to, to bear, bring that into, into action in relationship to thoughts and moods. See what the effect of that is. Here is the thinking mind. It's like this. Here is a wave of emotion, excitement and delight, fear and resentment. It's like this. 
Our metta is not making ourselves try to like everything, but it's that open-heartedness of, in this moment, it's this way. Nature is formed exactly like this. So the heart of loving-kindness, that radical, radically accepting attitude, is very close to the establishment of insight, the establishment of, of wisdom. Many ways that quality of metta, radical acceptance, can be described as a, a gateway to awareness, to wisdom. When the heart is established in that awareness, in vijja, then it is unborn. It's not being born into anything, liking, disliking, hoping, regretting, fearing, wanting. Comfort, discomfort. The heart, the mind, is not born into those states. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. It's unborn. Vicha. When the attention drifts, when avicha, ignorance, kicks in, then the whole birth, attachment, dukkha, Consequences arise from that. The whole dependent origination cycle begins. The attention caught by a sound or a feeling, a memory, a mood, suddenly born again. But through establishing this attitude of loving-kindness, that helps the heart to be more grounded in vicha, in being unborn embodying that wakeful, aware quality that is the attribute of Dhamma itself. The mind is Dhamma, it's not a person. It knows the personal qualities getting born and doing their thing, but that which is aware, the mind itself, the heart itself, is Dhamma, is an aspect of nature, it's not a person. It knows the personal arising and passing, but in itself, in its essence, the mind is not a person. 